You bow your head with me in prayer. Um, Lord, create in us a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. God, what we have not, give us. What we are not, kindly make us for your son's sake. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13 to 18. What happens when a Christian dies? Benjamin Franklin said, In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. His words, though slightly humorous, reminds us of our of a very real truth. One of the things we all have in common is that everyone dies. At one time or another, most people wonder what will happen when they die. Death feels frightening and mysterious, and perspectives on, on what happens and what it means vary significantly. When you ask what happens when you die, you're joining a generation of people who have asked that question throughout history. To help find some answers to this question, we have to explore what science and medicine believes, and secondly, what the philosophers believes, when, or, and what other religion believes, and finally, what the Bible teaches about what happens when a believer or Christian dies. Before we dive into our subject, I, I want to give you another reason why we need to be informed about what happens when a believer dies. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, it, it specifically says, For, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning believers who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. See, grieving, per se, is not wrong, but it is wrong to grieve in a hopeless manner like unbelievers. Science and medicine tells us that people, people who study science and medicine have come to a very diff, different conclusion about the afterlife. Something to believe that science means as supernatural, including life after death, is not possible. Others believe that script science proves, or at least points to, the possibility of life after death. Physicist Stephen Hawking compared death to a computer that stops working when it breaks. He thought of the afterlife as a fairy tale. In contrast, Nobel Prize winning physicist Max Planck believed physics showed that consciousness is not a product of a physical matter, such as brain cells. Since it exists outside of a physical matter, it could outlast physical death. Others argue that the first law of thermodynamics, which states that energy and matter cannot be created or destroyed, means life cannot end at death. Doctors and scientists have also studied and experiences of people who have, who have declared clinically dead but only to be revived later. One large-scale scientific study by the team from the University of Hampton in England found evidence of, evidence of consciousness during a period of cardiac arrest and no brain activity. So based on, on their research and case studies like this, some scientists have concluded that there must be life after death. Philosophy also has a lot to say on this subject. Ancient philosophers like Socrates and, and Plato believed that when the body died, the soul lived on. Years later, Immanuel Kant concluded that morality requires life after death as well as the ex existence of a just judge. Atheist philosophers like Marx and Lenin and Nizek did not believe in an afterlife. They viewed belief in an afterlife as an in conflict with living life to its fullest. Religion is one of the most common ways people answer the question of what happens when you die. There are many different religions and almost as many beliefs about the afterlife. Though specific differ, many religions have similar themes such as reincarnation and heaven and hell and enlightenment or some kind of combination. Islam, Muslims, people believe have immortal souls. After death, the destination of the soul depends on a person's good and bad deeds. Islam teaches that everyone will be resurrected, be, be raised to life again, and face final judgment. 
People who are faithful and good will enter paradise. People who are unfaithful and wicked will enter hell. Judaism. There are different beliefs about the afterlife within Judaism. Most sacred Jewish texts describe some form of afterlife. The Hebrew Bible talks about Shul and, and the Talmud describes the world to come. So exactly this are not clear. Some Jewish people believe only the faithful and good will enter the afterlife, but that the afterlife is open to good people of any worldview. Others believe there, other Jews believe there will be a resurrection of everyone that will include a judgment of every person's good and bad deeds to determine their eternal faith. But many do not believe in hell or an afterlife at all, but place value in preserving culture and living on through future generations. Uh, so there's many forms of Judaism that believes this. Buddhism, there are several types of Buddhism with distinct teachings about the afterlife. But in general, Buddhists teaches that Buddhism teaches that eternal individual souls do not exist, but that afterlife, uh, after death, people usually experience reincarnation based on their actions and desires in this life. The ultimate goal in Buddhism is to end the cycle of reincarnation and reach an enlightenment state called nirvana. This is achieved through meditation, religious practice, and the elimination of desire, hatred, and ignorance. Nirvana is branded by freedom from suffering. It's not a physical location, but a higher state of being than the physical world. Hinduism and other religion. And Hinduism includes a large variety of beliefs and practices, thus both religion and a culture. The core, the core of Hindu is about what happens after death, focused on reincarnation. Most believe in an eternal, immortal soul that is reincarnated at death based on its actions in life known as its karma. The consequences are automatic and cannot be avoided. So a person may suffer in one's life for bad karma from the current or previous life. The ultimate goal in Hinduism is to achieve what they call the moksha or freedom from reincarnation. This is achieved by eliminating bad karma through good actions meditation, spiritual devotions, or freedom from ignorance and desire. Uh, and once achieved, the soul becomes one with Brahman. Other religions, people who follow Scientology, New Age, are Christian, I believe, in some form of reincarnation. But the specifics are very awesome on those. Mormonism. Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believe that people were part of a spiritual kingdom before coming to earth and will return to their spiritual state when they die, immediately after death, people's spirit enter a spirit world. The faithful will be in paradise. The others will be in a spirit prison where they can choose to accept God or not. Mormons believe in re resurrection from all that reunites body and spirit. After the final judgment, Mormons believe the faithful will enter a celestial kingdom with God and their eternal families. And those who are good but did not accept God until the spirit world will live in a terrestrial kingdom. And those who are not good or reject God will be in a, another kingdom. So endless punishment is reserved for the devil, his angels, and those who serve him or totally reject God. The JWs, Jehovah's Witness, believe the souls is not separate from physical body and dies without the, with the body. A small group of most faithful, 144,000, will be part of that first resurrection and reign with Jesus in heaven. Others who choose to serve God will be part of the second resurrection and live on a new earth forever. Non-religious worldview, like agnostics, who does not believe it is possible to know if God or supernatural even exists. Atheism, do not believe in God, or God, generally do not believe in an afterlife. Uh, most believe that at death, a person simply ceases to exist. Some people who do not believe in God and are therefore technically atheists do still believe in some sort of an afterlife. Confucianism is more of a way of life, a philosophy, than a religion, so it does not promote the idea of an afterlife. Humanism teaches that the physical world is all there is and there's no life after death. Humanists believe people should focus on the human experience because at death they will cease to exist. So all of these religions, all this variety of beliefs, and then it, then it comes up with what the Bible says. Ultimately, it, it comes down to what the Bible says about what happens to a believer when they die. Uh, most Sundays, I'm 
it's uh, I'm excited to preach the word of God um, to you because it's His word. And uh, but this this week, just preparing for this message after the passing away of our friend, uh, it's just been so hard um, just to to come to grips. And all week, I'm I'm trying to find hope. I'm trying to find comfort. I'm trying to find rest in this. And I couldn't find it in anywhere else except through his word. His word is the only thing that grants me comfort. Nothing else. See, the Bible does not give you a large number of details concerning what happens right after we die. It's certainly safe to say that we will enter a reality that is beyond anything we could imagine. There are at least four concrete things the Bible does say about what we should expect at the moment of death and beyond. How many of you guys have ever um, asked that question, what happens when, when you die? Have you guys ever asked that? What happens immediately? Right? There's fear in death, isn't there? Why? Because of the unknown. What really immediately happens? And that's the question that we want to answer this morning. I want to give you four things about what the Bible says. Number Letter A, believers will be taken immediately into the presence of Christ. That's what happens immediately. Believers will be taken immediately in the presence of Christ. That's what happens immediately. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, and verse 16 and 17 tells us this. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Christ, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So, so those people who, have, who are believers who have died have fallen asleep. Right? And God said, I will bring, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So they are with God, in the presence of God. And he says, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, but to meet the Lord in the air. And I love the last portion of this in verse 17. So we will always be with the Lord. Isn't that great? That the moment you die, immediately you will be in the presence of Christ, never to leave again, so you will always be with the Lord. The resurrection of Christ is really at the center and is the basis for this hope in the future resurrection. In John 14, 3, when on the night that he was about to betray, he said, take... Uh, do not be anxious, take heart. And then in 14.3, Jesus said to the disciples, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. Isn't that great? Right? We're not in some disassembled spirits roaming around in the universe. Right? We're not there. That we will be with the Lord. So where he is, is where we are. That is so awesome to know. According to Acts chapter 1 verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven, Jesus, after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 3.21, for we must remain in heaven, Jesus, until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. So it tells us that Christ is in heaven right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for believers who are still sitting here on earth, and is preparing a place for all believers. So when a person dies, the believer will go to be with him. Jesus said in Luke 23, 43, to the thief on the cross, he said, truly I say to you, today, you shall be what? Today you shall be with who? Me. Just think about that for a moment. Let me just pause here. The moment that when someone dies, when they take their last breath here on earth, Jesus said, what? You shall be where? With me. Is there anything better news than that? Is there anything better news than when Jesus said, you will be with me where? In paradise. Right? Which is another thing for, for heaven. Restoration of the fellowship with God that existed in Eden before the fall. This is that. So the moment in Genesis 3, this, we have this broken relationship because of sin. And then the moment that you die, you're just not in the presence of God immediately. But now you will be what? Restored to that fellowship that Adam and Eve had with God. Wow. 
Can you imagine what, what sin really messes up? It messes up that fellowship that we had with God. And God, for the last 2,000 years, has been trying to restore you to himself. On two other occasions, Paul spoke of death in Philippians 1, 22-23 as ushering, ushering us into the presence of Christ. He says, but I am hard-pressed from both directions. Sadly, many of us are not even hard-pressed. Many of us, sometimes, we rather not, we rather not think about heaven. We, we rather think about earth and what we will accomplish on earth and, and what we'll achieve on earth and what we'll have on earth and, and what we'll purchase here on earth and what we'll own here on earth. So we're not even hard-pressed. But Paul said, I am hard-pressed. I can't decide. I can't decide. He says, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ. The apostle has a hard time deciding to stay here on earth to help the church or to be immediately with Christ. I can't, I'm I, hard decided. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 9, he says this. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body here on earth, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and I prefer. Paul said, I, I, I can't decide, but if I have a preference, I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And, and I need to ask you this. Can, can I ask you, what would you really prefer? What would you really prefer? Right? You rather stay here? Where, where is it always a threat for your life? Where one day you will wake up, you're all well and good, and another, you're sick? Why even have that? People say, you know, man, I would love to stay here long. People say, man, I hope I reach 80. Oh, man, that's too long. And some people said, man, I wish I, I hit the 100. Oh, man, that's still way too long. All right? I'd rather be with the Lord, don't you? Paul said, I prefer. So I, need, I must ask you, what is your preference? What is your preference? You know, all we see sometimes is, um, how many guys here have bought a new car before? New car, new car, brand new, spanking new, from like the lot to your house. And how many of you guys here have parked? Remember when you park at your house, and before you will walk in into your house, and you will go like this. <sighs> All right, have you guys ever done that? Right, that 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 new car smell, right? And then a few months later, and if you're a family with kids that smell doesn't last very long. So if you're like me with a minivan, you could have a brand new minivan, but in a week or so, maybe in days, all that new car smell will be gone. Right? It'll be gone. Remember that, that feeling? Everything gets old. And things break. How many of you guys here have bought a new house? Right? And, and your thinking is that when I buy this new house, nothing is going to go wrong. Right? Have you guys have ever thought about that? Right? Okay. Nothing goes wrong. And what do you find? Many things wrong. Right? So, so nothing lasts in this world. Absolutely nothing lasts in this world. There's nothing that we can hold on to that is secure. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So Paul is saying, I got everything in this world already. I, I, I tasted everything. And, and I think it's not good. And I actually called it junk, garbage, because I'd rather be with Christ. I'd rather know Christ. I'd rather prefer Christ. And you know, I love what he says here in verse 9. Not only are you absent from the body, but be at home. Can you get that for a moment, just a moment? Whatever you have here is not home. This is not home. Not even close to home. You know where real home is? 
is when you are with Christ. That is where home is. Because that's where the heart is. You know what people say, home is where the heart is? No, Christ. Crisis. Number two. Letter B, sorry. Far superior than our present earthly lives. Far superior than our earth, present earthly lives. So a second thing I want you to note is that Paul in Philippians 1.23 says that departing this life to be with Christ is very much better. I need to ask you, and, be on, and, and I need you to be honest. Do you really believe that? Do you really think and believe that to be with Christ in heaven is better? Do you really believe it? I'm not asking you this from an intellectual level, but from your soul. Do you really believe that it's better to be with Christ? People say, whether one is a Christian or not, that they're in a better place. But do you really believe that your loved ones who have died are really in a better place? How many of you have heard that before? They're in a better place. And my question for them always has been, how do you know? People say, you know, they're looking down. How many of you guys ever heard that? Looking down, right? I offend, when I was a young pastor, I, I offended some lady. I don't know if she's even forgiven me. So, you know, it was my second funeral. And so I finally dawned on me. So, you know, my daughter's in a better place. You know, she's looking down on us right now. And I said this foolish thing. How do you know she's not looking up? Oh, I was like. Ooh, that, that was not good. <laughs> and I finally realized it while she was offended of me. But the truth is, how do you know? How do you know they're not looking up? It's still a question, isn't it? Whether we like it or not, isn't it still the question? If you could tell me they're looking down, I could tell you, how about if they're looking up? Right? It's just fair. We will say that, don't we? I mean, don't say that anytime. <laughs> don't, don't do it. I already made that mistake. Don't do it. That's totally insensitive. Don't, don't do it. But theologically, it's absolutely true, isn't it? A few months ago, I, I was confronted with this truth whether I truly believe that it is better. As a, as a pastor, right? Oh, man, absolutely. Well, you, if you asked me a few months ago, if you asked me in June and July of, of last year, is it better? Yeah, it's better. And then on a Thursday, I remember my dermatologist that I saw, it took a biopsy of um, my, abdomen, my abdomen, said to me, hey, I'm, I'm so sorry to tell you that it's, it's not skin cancer. And I said, I'd rather prefer skin cancer. It's actually not. Actually, your cancer is back. And I said, whoa. And then I was confronted with this very truth again. Do I really believe that it's better? Do I really believe that it's better to be with Christ than be with my wife and my son and my two daughters? It's really better to, to be with Christ than the church. Is it really truly better to live in heaven than on earth? Is it really better? From an intellectual point of view, absolutely, I, I know it. But when it finally hits you, when your mortality hits you, do you believe that it is better still to be with Christ? That was, that was what's going on with me. And, and like I said before, this cancer returning was more of a spiritual trial than a physical one. Today, with, with God's help, I'm, I'm not only convinced that it's not only better, but also far more superior to my earthly life. But God had to teach me this. God had to bring me back to his word and ask me, Alan, do you believe that it is better? And the Holy Spirit is so gracious to teach me and continues to what Paul is teaching me in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on things that are above not on the things on the earth. Amen. To set one's mind on something is to choose to think about it. It takes a concentrated effort to set our minds on things above. We must read and meditate on scripture. I had to repent that I value the people and the things of this world more than the person of heaven, which is Jesus. 
I get carried away because I think this world is attractive, and it is because it's God's creation, but it cannot be more attractive than Christ. It cannot be more attractive than our creator because everything here is just his creation. Jesus wanted me to count the cost of following him. The Holy Spirit wanted to teach me what Matthew 10, 37, 39 meant when he said, whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up this cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I wasn't worthy because I thought this world was better. And Jesus goes on to say, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I finally had to surrender, God, whatever you do. I remember the day of my first scan just to see how much this has spread or he has spread. And God, you know, I, I just gave up. I remember just giving up, say, God, this life is yours. I surrender. Because what we lose in life, I know I will gain in heaven. Right now, we're all suffering this loss of life of a friend. But I know she is a gain in heaven. Do you get that? This question can be asked and answered only in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only in the light of Christ. We could say that heaven being with Christ, absent from the body, is far superior than our present earthly lives. Philippians 1.21, we, uh, Andrews read it. Uh, Paul gives us uh, two reasons that that is far superior for the believer than our present earthly life. He says, for me to live as Christ is a dice game. First, he knew that God would receive honor through his death as someone so fully devoted to living for Christ. There would just be another way of, of him honoring Christ. And second, his physical death will be gained for him because it would mean his earthly days were finally finished and will bring him face to face with Jesus. It's really a great game because you will be with Christ. For Paul, Christ is the most wonderful person that anyone on earth. He is wiser, stronger, kinder than anyone you enjoy spending time with. Endlessly interesting and knows exactly what to do and what to say at every moment to make his guests as joyful as they can possibly be. And he overflows in love and infinite insight into how to use that love to make his loved ones feel so loved. You know, I, I was reading on Gentle Lowly this week, and, and I was just grasped with, with how, not just how gently my, my Savior deals with me and, and in my inadequacies and my falling short of his glory, um, but how lowly he is, how humble he is. You know, he, I was reading this week, and I just had to put the book down because I was just like, God, I don't deserve any of this. And yet you choose to love me so deeply. There's no one more wonderful than you. Wow, it's really so good to know. And I had to be confronted again with this truth. We talk about heaven and we say, you know, yes, it'll be absent of pain. It'll be absent of suffering. It'll be absent of cancer. It'll be absent of everything. Yes, all of that. But you know, the whole point of heaven is Christ. The whole entire reason for heaven is that you and I will be in Christ and be with him always. That's the whole entire point, isn't it? Amen. Is, isn't that the whole entire point is to be with Christ? Right? Amen. And, and that's why it's so far more superior. Let us see. It can... So when a believer dies, they actually continue to look forward to the final resurrection. Okay? In 2 Timothy 4, 6, Paul tells us that God has answered his prayer to finally depart from the earth and be with Christ. He says it, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. You know, I was thinking about this passage over and over this morning, and I said, guess, wouldn't it be nice if you know the time of your departure? How many guys here will be nice? It would be just nice. How many of you guys will be like pretty luxurious when you know it's time? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to know? It's like this. You know, John and I, you know, one thing we do have in common is we just love food. Right? I know what John and I would do. We'll 
throw away all these diet pills and these diet books, and we will we will say to we will say to our gym, no more. And I know where we will spend one week if we have a week, and it won't even matter. You know, just keep it coming, right? But see, but the point is, you and I do not have the time of our departure. Paul did. Right, but none of us do, but we eat like we know our time of departure, <laughs> don't we? Like, oh man, I could handle a triple, triple at, at in and out. No, you can't. And you say you make it feel better, but you know, I didn't put buns on it, I just put lettuce. But it's still triple, <laughs> it still doesn't make sense, right? And, uh, uh, and, but. One thing's for sure that you and I have a departure time. The only thing is you and I don't know when it is. But God knows when it is. Because I will tell you this. If you know when your time of your departure will come, it will change the way you live today. Wouldn't it be? Would it change you? Right? You will give everything away, wouldn't you? Right? Some people like to give away. You know, I'll leave everything behind. Of course, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. You know, when they, when they asked Rockefeller, uh, somebody, when Rockefeller died, they said, hey, how much did J.D. live? L- lived on earth, right? He left everything. Right? And, and so that's the, really the point of, of all this is that we don't know when our departures come, but it should not stop us from changing and our life being transformed to, to Christ. See, Paul understood that when he would be executed, he will go to the grave, and there his remains would lie until the time of his resurrection, when the dead in Christ shall rise first. He understood that. Since the dead had have no thought process whatsoever, in his next waking moment, he will be returning with Messiah, Jesus, joining him along with the other saints at the time of the resurrection. Go back to 1 Thessalonians with me. Uh, verse... 15. He says, For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord will himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So if I die, and the people that we know or believers have died, they will rise first. They will go first. And this is what will happen. Then who are alive, us, or if you are so granted that you're not going to see death, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And again, we go back to this. So we will always be with the Lord. That's why, therefore, encourage one another with his words. See, you see, this embodied existence is not God's ultimate and final greatest purpose for us. As great as it will be in heaven after we die, God has something greater in store being resurrected from the dead so that we will live soul body forever in the new heaven and new earth. So right now, if, when, some, when a believer dies, they, their, their body stays here, but their, their soul go, goes up to heaven and, and rests, conscious, conscious. And they're just not like they're sleeping, right? conscious. And then what will happen at, at Christ, Christ will call them first, it will crawl them first, and then their, what will happen is their soul, which is in heaven with God in paradise, will be reunited with their body, which was here on earth, but it will be a different type of body. It will be what we call the resurrected body. It would be the body that Jesus had when he, what? Resurrected from the grave. Right? If you ask me, hey, what age would I be? I don't know. I go, we'll have a six-pack. I don't know. Will my biceps be big? I don't know. Will I have no more love handles? I don't know. I have no answer to any of that. All I know is that it will be changed. Praise God. Amen. Right? That's all we know. It will be changed. Right? Whatever form it may be, one thing we know, it will be perfect. Right? So when you guys look at stuff in the mirror, that ain't the final product. Amen to that, isn't it? 
I mean, we don't have to crack the window mirror anymore. It will be changed. It'll be done. Right? God will have us where he wants us to be. Right? No more gym either. And in Romans 8.23, while we're still alive, Paul stated that it's this way. I wait eagerly for the redemption of his body. That's what, in heaven, Paul is in heaven right now, his soul. And you know what he's waiting for? Eagerly, for the redemption of his body. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 5. This is what he's groaning for, that he'll be clothed with his body. Okay? The eager, this eager anticipation for our resurrected, resurrection stops not when we die, but when we finally receive the fulfillment of our resurrected body. Understanding this should greatly increase our desire, really, for the kingdom of God. Describing this resurrection to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For a trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Paul knew he would receive his rewards, his change at Christ's coming. He also knew that death before that would mean sleep, unconsciousness until then. Um, the time for, for Paul's death until his resurrection at the same time as all of Christ's followers will seem to him but a mere moment. He will be with Christ as a glorified son of God in the next moment of his consciousness. No wonder he was weary of his suffering in his life, desired to depart from it and, and to be with Christ. The joy of the resurrection will not be ours but the joy of freedom from pain will be. Uh, when I, um, when Howie called me, uh, um, on a Thursday morning, uh, and said, you know, come to the hospital. And I, I saw my friend, um, there, and, and the first thing that came to my mind is, uh, now, just deep sorrow for the family, but uh, also great relief that um, my friend is no longer in pain. That Jesus is so faithful and gentle that she said she had enough. She had enough pain. I'm going to take her home now when there'll be no more pain. Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man to show the great reversal that this coming at death. The rich man called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Why? Why would, this, why would this rich man call have mercy on me? Because the other side of this, where this man is in this temporary place of torment, it's not the lake of fire yet, right? I don't know, right? And he's already suffering and he's crying out, have mercy on me. That's just telling you how painful that would be for those who are unsaved. And, and send Lazarus to deep the end of his finger, and, and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Anguish? Have mercy on me? But Abraham said, Child, remember you in your lifetime received your, your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here. I want you guys to think about this. So when a believer dies of, of cancer or whatever it may be, they die, they're not what, suffering anymore. There's no more pain. Here, the Bible tells us they are comforts. Comforted here. Isn't it a praise? It's not a praise that when somebody's suffering from this cancer or, or death or whatever it may be, then finally they are comforted here. And yet, if you're not unbeliever, you're in anguish. In actually Revelation 6, verse 9 to 11, I didn't know this until I studied this week. And, and, say, and say, you know, are we just disembodied spirit? No, actually, they're praying. Look at verse chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted, or they prayed to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for have done to what they have done to us. Then a white robe was given to each one of them, and they were told to rest, to rest. A little longer until the full number of the brothers, sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were, were to be martyred had joined them. We see comfort. We see mercy. We see what? Just rest. 
we will be given a profound rest in our souls. There will be serenity beneath the eye and care of God that surpasses anything we have ever known here on the earth. And even in the softest summer evening by most peaceful lake at our most happy moments, still better with Christ. No wonder in 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul repeats this and said, preferred rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. I want you also to notice also that being heaven is referred to as being at home. You see, the whole human race is homesick for God without knowing it. Are you homesick? Are you? Are you homesick? How many guys here have have lost loved ones and but you know they're believers? How many guys have have how many guys have, have that? Isn't it great just to be to see them again? You know, Andrew shared today about his grandmother and homesick, right, Andrew? Right? A little bit envious maybe? A little envious, maybe? Yeah, <laughs> right? I, I'm a little bit envious, really. Um, and when we go home to Christ, there will be contentment beyond any sense of security and peace we've ever known. So one of the things that will make heaven so great is that we'll finally feel that we're finally home. Do not have the time. I was going to quote you a John Piper quote, but I'm going to move on. Our last point this morning. At the moment of death, believers will be made perfect and cleansed from all sin. Amen? Amen. How many guys would like to wake up one moment that you have no more capability of sinning? Huh? You are not longer capable of bad thought. How many guys here no longer capable of bad words? Right? How many guys here are not capable of eating bad food? <laughs> right? Right? Eliminates all this. This follows from the above point that believers are taken to heaven immediately at death. Heaven is fully, fully pure and free from all tarnish and sin, and therefore when God takes us to heaven, he makes us fit for the experience of it by making our hearts perfect in holiness. In Romans 8.29, Paul tells us, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of, of his son. We will finally be conformed to the image of his son. We're finally going to look like him in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This, this accord with his purpose to make us completely like Christ and at the return of Christ to present us to himself without spot or wrinkle or sin. The writer to the Hebrew says in chapter 12, verse 20 to 24, but you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the innumerable angels in, in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be made perfect. Isn't that great? How many guys here have, have confessed, truly confessed, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and King, and you are truly a Christian and a believer? Okay? You guys have that? Could you turn to someone, to each other right now, and just say, you are perfect? And then call them a liar. <laughs> Alright? Is that hard? Is that hard to say? Hey, you're perfect. But we are. Positionally in Christ, you are. And one day you will be without wrinkle, without sin, totally righteous, totally perfect. And that's what's gonna be. But in order to, to be righteous and made perfect, there's a prerequisite. And I'm gonna tell you the prerequisite from Hebrews. And and you must listen to me. I have 15 seconds left, but I need to get this across. <laughs> Are you sure you're enrolled in heaven? Are you sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Are you enrolled in heaven? 
Because if you're enrolled in heaven, your destiny is perfection. That will be your destiny. And then you can turn to your, to your husband or your wife and say, man, I wish it's already heaven so you'll be perfect. <laughs> I know that's my, the prayer of my wife every day. <laughs> you see, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.3, that it's God's will that you might be sanctified, set apart, that it's his will to make us holy and free of sin. Our sanctification has three phases. And I can't, go, I can't unpack this, but you just have to. Um, we'll do it some other day. There's positional sanctification, which saves us from the penalty of sin, at the moment of faith in Christ, and there's what we call progressive sanctification, which saves us from the power of sin as we grow in Christ right now, right now, and then one day complete sanctification, which saves us from the presence of sin as we enter the presence of Christ. That's what we're looking forward to. And in 1 John 3, 2, when Christ appears, say this with me, when Christ appears, we shall be like who? Like him. Is that awesome? You will be well, who? Like who? Like him. Is there anything better? Is there anything better than that? There's nothing better than that. In other words, the process by which God sanctifies us involves justification, maturation, and glorification. And the glorification that God promises children for sure includes sinlessness because sinful beings... Cannot be glorious. Let me end. I'm almost done. First Colossians 3, 4 reminds us that when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This links to the Christ second coming to our personal glorified state, which will be our ultimate separation from sin, total sanctification in every regard. It will be impossible for us to sin in heaven. Praise God, isn't that? impossible. How many guys here are just tired of sinning? Just tired. How many guys here are tired of your spouse sinning? <laughs> Alright? Isn't it great that one day you will look at your spouse? Whoa, he doesn't do anything wrong. Or he doesn't say anything wrong anymore. Oh, he actually listens to me. Oh, he's actually not about himself. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Revelation 19.8 tells us there'll be no possibility of sin because you and I will be clothed with righteousness. His righteousness. Isaiah 35.89. If you don't have this in your Bible highlighted, please highlight this. Isaiah 35.89. A highway will be a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it, but only the redeemed will walk there. It will not be possible for us to sin in heaven. Not possible. Let me close with this, that those who died, who did not trust in Christ in this life, will be separated from God and enter a reality completely absent of his common grace and blessing. And like I said earlier in the parable of rich man and Lazarus, Jesus speaks of Lazarus being taken to heaven when he dies, but the rich man, because he did not believe in the gospel, he immediately entered into a great torment and being excluded from the blessing and common grace of heaven. And the Bible speaks often of the painful reality that awaits those who do not place their faith in Christ. So if you have loved ones, you need to share them the gospel. If you have loved ones who does not know Christ, it's imperative for you to get out of yourself and not be ashamed of the gospel that will save them. It is too big of a risk not to. We see from all these things that death is not the end of our existence. We have bodies and souls. Death is a separation of body and soul, not the end of our personhood. When we die, our bodies become lifeless and are no longer the place where we reside, but we continue to exist as souls, either with Christ in glory or separate from Christ in shame. You see that not knowing death ushers us directly into the realities of either heaven or hell should make us look up to Christ as our refuge and salvation and should make us strive, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, as, have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, be pleasing to him. Even for believers, the prospect of death is some 
times a fearful thing because death is obscured in great mystery as the realm to which we have never gone. But we may take courage and lay aside our fears and put our confidence in Christ that who time after time says to his people, do not be afraid. Isaiah 43 verse 12, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. Just think about this. Jesus said, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You by name. You are mine. Who are you? You are Christ. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will flame burn you. So do not be afraid. God wants his people to be comforted in the face of death. Take comfort. This is not it. Something greater is in store for you and I. Amen? Our friend now who has passed, who has passed from this life is comforted, rested in Christ. Praise be the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we come and ask for your comfort from an emotional point of view, God, that we have lost a friend. God's sin is terrible. It, it, it leads to death, God. But thanks be to God. But while we're still sinners... You died for us. That when we were walking corpse, you made us alive in you. But thanks be to God. Oh Lord, we need your rest. We need your comfort. And God, we mourn and we grieve and we cry. Not because we have false hope. God, because we have true hope. God, that this will never be a goodbye. This will always be a see you later. So, Lord, comfort our hearts. I commit to you, O Lord, Tong family. God, there's no words we can say to give them comfort. But help us, O Lord, to share Christ and his love for them. In Jesus' name, amen.